Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, good morning. It is a Monday, and if you've been paying attention to the Asbury revival um, over the last, um, it's been almost two weeks, I guess, uh, since this uh, revival broke out at Asbury University, And and I think it's incumbent upon us as Christians, as conservatives, and Um, as circumspect analysts of the world to address this and um, and actually talk about it because there is a kind of one, I guess, cadre of of individuals that is always totally skeptical of anything that would call itself a revival and, oh, this is too charismatic, oh, the form does not fit exactly how we particularly worship at our denomination, so this can't possibly be of God. And then there are people on uh, the opposite side of the coin that are so ready to embrace anything that potentially looks like it might be Christian because we are so desperate for um, a a move of Christ in this very dark world that we don't ask uh, probably enough questions. And um, so my good friend, Ryan Helfenbein, who is um, a a vice president at Liberty University and also uh, the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center that I was a founding fellow at, uh, actually, and uh, he and I talk uh, quite a bit. He's um, a really, really dear friend and I think has some really good perspectives on this, um, made a video. Uh, that I just want to play for you right now because um, I think that this kind of encapsulates how we need to approach this. So play cut two. Can we call it revival? The whole nation is watching Asbury University with hope, intrigue, and even skepticism. But how should Christians think about it? Christians should always be marked by fruits of the Spirit, desiring and welcoming the work of God and the gospel, being hopeful and discerning. Scripture says, love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. We aren't cynics. Scripture also teaches, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they come from God. Our love should always be marked by discernment. With revival, there is both form and substance. The form is the external characteristics that we see. The substance is only what God can bring. There's ample reason to believe that Asbury has both form and substance of authentic revival. But let's be clear, it isn't our hand-waving, singing, or prayers that make for authentic revival. It's the Spirit of God moving in holiness, faith, confession, repentance, and even conversion. Remember, wherever there is truth, counterfeit will always be near. Among the crowds that greeted Christ and the apostles, there were those seeking the signs, among those seeking to be reconciled with the living God. But that counterfeit does not disprove the real. In all the reaction to Asbury University, we see the same thing. The form, the substance, the counterfeit, and the true. Revival can happen anywhere the people of God gather. It can even happen inside of you. So joining me now is my good friend, Ryan Helfenbein. And Ryan, I thought that this video was exceptionally well done and balanced 
the the concerns and the rightful questions that we need to have about authentic revival while also being hopeful of the Holy Spirit genuinely moving. So um, what is what is your overall take on Asbury and how we need to uh, critically view this through a biblical lens? Wow, Jenna, thank you so much, by the way, for playing that clip. I, you know, last week our team got together here at the Freedom Center and uh, we were asking one another, are we going to talk about this? And, and I, I was reluctant, I will say, just based on all of the kind of the firestorm among evangelicals in this country. Uh, there seems to be kind of two general camps. And um, yeah, the one, I think the one that is welcoming is the larger camp, uh, the one that is really encouraged. And I lean more that way. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a good deal of intrigue around this and people asking honest questions. The, the thing that I'm most hopeful about, Jenna, is because of what is happening in Wilmore, Kentucky, it's causing many people, many Christians uh, specifically, and then those outside the church, to ask questions about what is God doing? And, and can there really be a movement of the Holy Spirit in these modern times? We're in a desperate need uh, in America for revival. And so I think there are those who are looking at this hopeful um, and expectant, welcoming uh, God's work. But I think there's also those, and there's the other general kind of camp, I think it's a little bit smaller. And these guys end up being a little bit more analytical. Um, they're not wrong. Uh, in raising some questions around this. It, it can be skepticism, and it can sometimes sound mean-spirited, but the questions are honest. And uh, I will say that the questions are those questions that come right out of Scripture. Um, you know, asking, is this really a movement of God? Is it, is it, are people really repenting of sin? Are they confessing their sins before the Lord? Are they turning away are they, uh, is there an actual conversion taking place? Is the preaching of the Word of God taking place uh, in, these, in these meetings? Um, and those questions, Jenna, are the right kinds of questions to ask. I have never known, and I'll say this, throughout biblical history, or even church history, the work of God to be overturned by honest questions. That mm. that uh, that has been true throughout human history. The historic resurrection uh, follows the correspondence theory of truth. Uh, it's not a resurrection that took place in our hearts. It's a it's an actual resurrection, a miracle of God that can be proven in history. And there were over five hundred eyewitnesses to that. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, the first time uh, that the age of the church was inaugurated. Uh, Christ descended into heaven. He foretold that the, the Helper would come, the Paraclete, that is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God and uh, was poured out over the Church in Acts. That cannot be overturned by honest questions. And so uh, here I am, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle uh, of all of this, because I look at it and say, Praise God, this is happening. I think of what Paul said about those who, who preached Christ in the public square, and, and uh, the, some were asking him, are they doing this out of selfish gain or selfish motives? Are they authentic? 
and what they're doing. And Paul said, I just care that Christ is being preached and that he's being preached faithfully. And if he is, praise God, all the more reason to welcome it. Uh, whether or not he's in chains or in prison, Paul wasn't jealous over others who were declaring the gospel publicly. So I'm not at Asbury. I didn't experience uh, revival this weekend. Uh, but I would say that if if it is genuine and real, praise God it's happening. And I hope that it is uh, multiplied in many places across the country, uh, not just in universities and college campuses, but especially the gathering of the local church. I pray that that happens. I'm talking with Ryan Helfenbein, who's the executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center at Liberty University, our good friends there. And Ryan, you raised some really excellent points that uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, can't be overturned by cross-examination or questions. And that also raises the very important point that too often we as Christians will go for the emotional experience and and tend to believe that the feelings-based revival is the more authentic evidence of proof of the Holy Spirit rather than the knowledge of God, rather than the substance and the teaching and preaching of the Word. And it's not to say that we can't have uh, feelings of of joy and um, love for the Lord and all of these other um, types of emotions as we worship God, but we also have to make sure that the substance genuinely is there. And I think that it's right um, to question this and ask some questions surrounding this event, like whether it genuinely was spontaneous or whether this was planned weeks in advance. And um, and, and that just, I mean, and obviously church services are planned weeks in advance. There's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but in terms of an authentic movement of the Holy Spirit, um, to me as well, you know, this whole idea that a lot of people suggest that, oh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is quote unquote showing up. That to me completely mm-hmm. disregards the omnipresent attribute attribute of God. And we aren't just inviting him in like how, for example, Satanists would try to communicate with spirits that aren't omnipresent. And so some of these things and some of the um, some of the the doctrinal positions that are evident in some of what's coming out, I think we can ask legitimate questions. And and even if you know it's not exactly um, the perfect form that we would participate in, maybe it's a little too charismatic for some of us. Maybe it's a little too different. That to me isn't the problem, or isn't what we need to question. But questioning whether the substance is genuinely there is this just a movement of emotion? Or is it a movement of substance? And so how do we need to authentically question the substance of a so-called revival? Because aren't we supposed to be participating in basically a revival every Sunday in our local churches? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, man, I love how you frame that question. And it's it's important um, to look at what's happening. Uh, almost that, you know, Wilmore, Kentucky kind of gives us a test case. I'm going to say this, uh, historically, I think this is the eighth uh, uh, so-called revival uh, that has taken place on campus at Asbury University, the eighth in their school's history. Uh, That's eight more than many other college, uh, Christian colleges and universities. It's important to know that this is a part 
of a charismatic sect of the Methodist Church. It's a Methodist holiness movement. And so um, it, it's important, and, and they'll acknowledge, I think, Dr. Kevin Roberts, who is the president there at Asbury University, has has called it an outpouring. He's not calling it a revival. Um, he, he, they've been very careful to even say, and I'm kudos to them, I really appreciate uh their maturity in this moment uh, in in providing some leadership and guidance for these students, but he said we won't know until the aftermath that it's not in the in this moment that you're going to know. It's going to be weeks, months, and even years afterwards. Because, and I'll say this: if it is the work of God, it will not fizzle. Okay, if it's the work of God, it is going to last. And, you know, this goes back to even Acts chapter 4, when uh, Peter and John are preaching uh, publicly, uh, the Sanhedrin is warning them not to preach the Word. And they say, we can't help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. And when the Sanhedrin, the elders got together, the Jewish elders, one of the elder statesmen said, if this is really of God, it cannot be overturned or thwarted. And so they said, let's just wait and see. And and ironically enough, it wasn't overturned. It just kept multiplying and multiplying. So I would say we know revival by its aftermath. The problem today is social media. Uh, uh, you know, social media delivers these great, powerful, moving, emotional videos. Uh, we can see the form of what's taking place. Uh, I've seen a lot of singing, Jenna. I have not seen any preaching. That's not to suggest that God is not working through the singing, uh, through the prayers. That's great. Um, but that alone, I think, sometimes can can lead people to assume certain things about authenticity just because they saw a powerful emotional video that might have been, you know, 8 to 15 seconds long, right? So... I think that's problematic. When we read about revival historically, it was oftentimes weeks and even months afterwards that that people even knew what was going on across the country. Um, so social media is both a good thing and a bad thing in this moment. Yes. Well, Ryan, I think you raised some really great points, and we need to be praying for those in Asbury. We need to approach this with questions, with concerns, and of course, with hope and with joy. So we'll continue to follow this story, and we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. Let's be real. Retirement is expensive and inflation is making it even harder with the cost of everything going up from pet food to a dozen eggs. Wouldn't it be great if the cost of your health care could go down? Well, MediShare 65 plus is $99 a month for ages 65 to 74. And for many with Medicare parts A and B looking at other options, that's 50% or more saved per month. No gimmicks. It's $99 a month, and you can use any Medicare-approved doctor or facility, and you get 24-7 access to telehealth from the convenience of your home. Better yet, MediShare is a Christian nonprofit organization. It's a community that will pray for you and encourage you. And since we've cut out the middleman, you get to keep the savings. 
Call now. You can learn more about MetaShare 65+. Here's the number, 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE, 833-45-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for William Burns, director of the Central Intelligence Agency. His agency is tasked with gathering, processing, and analyzing national security information from around the world. Deuteronomy 31.6 reminds us of the importance of bravery amidst God's protection. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear God, we ask for guidance for William Burns as he leads the CIA. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Jesse Hamilton prepared meals for the men of Phi Gamma Delta for about 14 years. Her presence at Louisiana State University was life-changing for many of the fraternity brothers. She eventually went on to other jobs in life, cleaning and cooking, still hard at work even at the age of 74. Andrew Fusiati was one of the young men who ate her cooking back in the day. And when he found out Mrs. Hamilton was still on the job, he just knew an intervention was in order. So he contacted a few of his fraternity brothers, and they decided to pay off Mrs. Hamilton's mortgage. And on her 74th birthday, they surprised her with a catered meal and a great big check, totaling more than $50,000. All those attending were given t-shirts proclaiming Jesse Hamilton Day and hankies as well to wipe away the tears. It was an emotional scene, those grown men taking care of a sweet lady who made sure they had a home-cooked meal. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are following this story as well out of East Palestine, Ohio. And, uh, you know, this is just an, an insanely absurd story that, uh, the, in my view, the Biden administration and also the administrations of uh, Governor Mike DeWine out of Ohio and also uh, Governor Josh Shapiro out of Pennsylvania handled incredibly poorly. And we're seeing that a lot of this uh, toxic plume of chemicals is now spreading into um, even encroaching over the border of Canada, according to some videos, and into uh, the state of New York. And obviously, um, you know, this type of toxic cloud doesn't just disappear. Uh, this this isn't going away. And so there have been um, just some really, really um, devastating stories from local people on the ground, as well as uh, some reports of uh, these um 
these liability waivers that the the railroad company and other uh, government testing agencies are trying to uh, get the local residents to sign, uh, which if you have any friends in uh, in Ohio or have any of this, I would urge them to be very, very cautious because um, even though people are reacting understandably out of fear, out of wanting to know uh, whether or not their water is safe, whether uh, the air is safe to breathe. Um, just signing this type of broad sweeping liability waiver just to allow access to your property um, can unfortunately uh, give um, give rise to a lot of legal problems down the road if uh, you are unintending uh, and really unwittingly waiving some uh, future legal claim in order for uh, people to access your property. So a lot going on. And uh, my good friend Pedro Gonzalez from the American Principles Project joins me this morning to talk about this story. And um, Pedro, uh, first of all, you know, what what is your take overall on what happened and the government's uh, response out of this? Um, I mean, this is just to me a an incredible story of dereliction of duty and obligation to uh, the residents of Ohio and and largely beyond that as well. I mean, this is affecting, of course, many, many more people than just in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thanks so much for having me. This is a story I think that, well, I'll start by saying this. It's it's easy and natural and understandable to want to blame, you know, uh, our transportations are Mayor Pete and Joe Biden, and they, they deserve a lot of blame. The way that they're handling it is really disgusting. There's this kind of aloofness. This It's harder to pretend that you don't care about these people than um, than what you're seeing from you know Biden, uh, who's, who's, I think, actually in Ukraine at the moment, meeting with Zelensky, or at least he, he was very recently, but no trip to East Palestine, right? So it's totally understandable, and I, and like I've I've also heaped scorn on them, but really this is actually the result of I think years and years and years of neglect. It, it's the result of of decades of neglect for American infrastructure, neglect for the heartland, to the point where there is some truth to Mayor Pete saying, "Well, these derailments happen all the time." That's true, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Or that it has to be this way. And what's obviously not true about that statement is that this is an especially terrible case where you had tons and tons of these various toxic chemicals. Excuse me, I have a cold. I actually came down with a cold right after I visited East Palestine, mm. which made my wife think that maybe it was connected. I don't, I don't think it is. But um, <clears throat> obviously everyone is familiar with the liquid vinyl chloride, which is the stuff that you know I think is really, really concerning. But, but there was a lot more. There was, there was a variety of different, very noxious uh, chemicals that that were released into the atmosphere and ultimately into the water. Um, my sense of when I was there uh, a few days ago, when I spoke to people, the, the first thing that struck me was how warm and inviting they all are. This, this is a this is a town of just under five thousand. It has always been roughly that size. It, it has always been a very industrious. Uh, it, it, this part of the United States is actually the, the pottery capital of America, and a lot of ceramics are made there. And it, it has always been a very industrious, very but very small place. 
And uh, the people that live there live there because they want to live there, because it's what they call home. And that I was just struck by how nice everybody was, despite mm-hmm. the fact that at the same time there's this, you know, there's this kind of cloud looming over them. And there's a general sense of fear and frustration and confusion and uncertainty. I spoke to one woman who she she asked not to be named, uh, but basically she had just recently opened a business and she doesn't even know if she's going to qualify for help because I think they're, they're asking for people to show like records of, of their business operations going back like a few years. And, and she told me like, I've only been in business a few months. So does that mean that I'm, I'm not going to get help? Does that mean that I'm not affected by what's happened here? And there are all these questions, right? Like, is it even safe to be in my house? Do I have to throw away all my furniture? What about my carpet and my drapes and all that stuff? These these people have no idea about what is going on in their backyard. There are these workers there who are um, working all day and night to pull stuff out of the creek beds, um, the creek beds that are running through people's backyards. And the workers, I mean, they don't, you know, they're not stoked about being there and, pull, and, and having to deal with this stuff. But when I ask them, like, hey, can you tell me what's in that, that container that you've got on this person's front lawn? They just won't talk to me. And it, it's not to say that they're, you know, that they're, that they're, um, that they're being like disrespectful or something, but it's very clear that they've been instructed, you know, don't talk to people about what you're doing as a, as a journalist. It's like, okay, I understand. But now imagine put, imagine being someone who lives in East Palestine and there are these containers filled with presumably contaminated soil and other stuff that are like surrounding your home. And then the people that are filling them won't talk to you about what's in them. How long are they going to be there? And that's, that's in a nutshell, what's going on in East Palestine. Wow. And, and, and Pedro Gonzalez um, from the American Principles Project, um, I hope that you feel better and I hope that that truly isn't connected. Um, and, and you know, it's it's interesting to me that when all of this is going on, you have a lot of people um, like yourself that are willing to travel there and to see actually what's going on um, on the ground there and talking with um, with the residents there. Has, have anyone um, talked to you about any of these kind of liability waivers or um, Glenn Beck posted one um, a few days ago that was titled property access agreement and release. Um, so this is one that, that at least he alleges um, ha- was given uh, to him a, a picture of it by someone on the ground. Um, was anyone talking about that or any sort of pressure from the railroad company or from government agents to sign any of these types of releases to access the properties? And um, what was their attitude toward that? No, the the people that I spoke with at the time when I went there, there um, they did mention that there are others in town that have been basically talking about concerns over the legal aspects of this. And I'm going to follow up with a lot of these people, and I actually have some more uh, interviews and, and contacts to make. So I'm, I'm going to be asking about this because it's more and more in the news now. To my knowledge, I started seeing reports about that stuff in the last few days, basically around the time I. I had left was when I started to see it more and more in local local news. So uh, I'm going to be following up about it. But but there is there, there's um when I had asked about that kind of thing, the answer I got was like we don't really know. And also there there I think that one family told me that that some locals had been kind of warned against talking too much to the to the press because they said it can it can somehow affect like a a, a mass. Uh, not not class action, but I think it's mass action lawsuit. Um, obviously, I'm not a lawyer, but but there's this 
that's part of the problem is that they don't know exactly what's going on. And a lot of these people can't afford legal counsel, you know, like let alone uh, moving (laughs) and and packing up their things and leaving. So that's a huge part of it. Um, Going back to the, to like the business aspect of it. I mean, there are people that I spoke with that told me that they, they do a lot of, um, they, they do, they do a lot of business with people from out of town, like in Pennsylvania, they will, they will, uh, they'll, these people will come in and pick stuff up and I have to be as vague as possible. Mm-hmm. And they told me that it's, it's like completely dried up. Hmm. That the, the, They're getting calls from people saying like, Hey, you know, basically best of luck, but we're not going to be uh, doing any pickups uh, from you for, for, for like the foreseeable future. So on top of all that, there's all these legal questions that obviously like they don't understand. Um, it's a really scary time, but, it, it, and it also contributes to this this feeling of like isolation, which I think is really interesting when it, you juxtapose it against the like the platoons of reporters that are going in and out of town, and like the press conferences that the EPA has held, and, and you know like there's been a variety of different uh, politicians going there, and yet the people in the village feel like they're alone. It, mm. It's really interesting to contrast those things. Uh, the, basically, the amount of like headlines that you see about East Palestine compared to the sense of the people there feeling like somehow we're still being excluded from the story. Interesting. And, you know, and, and I'm talking with uh, Pedro Gonzalez, who um, is a reporter and also um, a fellow with the American Principles Project. And, um, you know, this, is, Pedro, to me is just a, a total tragedy all the way around. And, and, and I think that you're wise to highlight that um, this does go back decades in terms of um, a dereliction of our of attention to our infrastructure and um, and some of these things that of course could be prevented and how is that then that issue uh, really I don't see the Biden administration or even um, you know Governor DeWine who is a Republican so I mean I think I'm I am yeah. in a bipartisan fashion disappointed right with the response <laughs> as a whole um, how is this even being addressed when you have um, somebody like Pete Buttigieg who just says well you know the, and he's trying to minimize this by saying a, a, a thousand or more um, derailments happen annually so you know this really isn't that big of a deal and trying to minimize this when i think that the overall scope of the american people's reaction is is a lot different and and i don't really see that the administration is uh, responding or governor dewine i mean he's he's kind of just saying uh, we'll sit back see what the report says as if there's not anything actively current um and harm potential harm actively happening right now i mean that to me was kind of mind-boggling in terms of his response yeah well privately i've heard that the wine has been kind of on the the case of norfolk southern but publicly obviously his reaction is extremely different and i think this is actually why people are so upset with him think back to covid and how aggressive and, and like overzealous the wine was with covid you know, there's a joke that DeWine is really a cop at heart, and that's why he locked everyone in their homes in Ohio during COVID. And so you can compare his approach to COVID to what he's doing now, and it's, it is really stark. You know, he, he almost isn't really, in, like, 
involved publicly. Uh, his responses really impart a sense of like, I don't care or, and I'm not saying he doesn't care because again, I've, I've heard that privately he has, he has been, he's kind of um, taken Norfolk Southern to task. But again, that doesn't matter if, if publicly what people see from you is this kind of aloofness, you know, th- this kind of like, I mean, that, that, that question that he got from a reporter uh, about, would you, would you go home if you lived in East Palestine? And he said, well, I'd probably be drinking bottled water, but yeah, I think I would probably go. There's a lot of problems and mites in that answer. I think, yeah, I'd probably be drinking bottled water, but I think I'd, I, I might be back home. Yeah. You know, it, like that is such a horrible response for these people because again, they're trapped. This is an economically depressed uh, part of the country, like like a lot of the parts of the Midwest. And setting aside the fact that I think that honestly a lot of these people would not leave, uh, given the chance, because of how much they love this place and they call it home. Uh, if they wanted to, they couldn't without an immense amount of assistance from the state and federal government, which obviously they're not getting. And that's I, uh, I, I spoke to. One family who's like quintessential, like middle American blue dog family, you know, blue dog Democrats, like they they were Obama voters until Trump. And then they flipped because of his economic populism. And they told me that they were also uh, big DeWine supporters. And um, they said that this really uh, lost lost them on DeWine. His, his mm-hmm. response was they, they said they were shocked. And pretty much everyone I spoke to was the same one. They basically said, you know, I... I either liked the wine or I didn't not like him until now. And then this has really changed my mind about him. But the, the, actually, the, probably the, one of the only politicians that gets like a, a nice mention is the mayor, because he's, from what I understand, the mayor is just like one of, you know, just a regular East Palestine guy who is really in over his head and he's not getting the help that he needs. And he's being left in the dark uh, just as much as everybody else. So, I mean, it, it's really a breakdown on every conceivable level in terms of like the, the response to it and also communication. Cause again, I went to East Palestine thinking that I was going to get answers and I just left with more questions uh, and not knowing much more than the locals, the people that live there. Wow. Well, that's, that's incredible. And again, Pedro Gonzalez from the American Principles Project, I hope that you feel better and um, please keep us uh, informed uh, if you do follow up on all of this. And I know that you will. You're an excellent reporter and uh, what's going on on the ground, because there are still so many questions about the response and, um, and, and what's not happening. And I think I was kind of in that camp of like, all right, DeWine isn't my favorite, but now seeing this this response, and I don't even live there, um, and and I've been very, very disappointed in his response. And of course, you know, Biden going to Ukraine instead of East Palestine, all the memes saying, well, Ohio should uh, now self-identify as Ukraine to maybe get some federal government attention on it. But uh, we'll continue to follow this story. Appreciate your insights, uh, Pedro Gonzalez. We'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. 
Find peace in God's Word. In Nahum 1.3, the Lord has His way in the whirlwind. Frequently in life, we find ourselves in a whirlwind, don't we? Really, the wording means His way prevails even over above the storms of the whirlwind. God is in control. He has His way even above the noise of the storm. Don't miss Exploring the Word with Dr. Alex McFarland weekdays at 3 p.m. Central on AFR or catch up with the podcast at AFR.net. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. February 13th, 2023 at 1.43 p.m., Congresswoman Erin Healy of South Dakota tweeted, Quote, extremist group Family Heritage Alliance said this morning that the safest place for kids are in families that have a married mom and dad. What a dangerous and un-American belief, end quote. When an elected official serving in the most potent branch of our national government deigns to describe God's design for the family as dangerous and un-American, it reveals just how dark things have gotten in our nation. Repentance is our only option. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey. And I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And so much news that we are following uh, here at American Family Radio Network. And, of course, the Asbury Revival is a really big story in the news. And I had a... On a guest earlier today, uh, Ryan Helfenbein, who is from Liberty University and our friends at the Standing for Freedom Center. And uh, really good comments. If you missed uh, that discussion, you can always go back and listen to the podcast of this show at AFR.net. And of course, following the story out of East Palestine, Ohio as well, and um, the chemical spill and uh, just some really, really tragic uh, stories coming out of that, and um, you know where where really do we go from here in terms of the impact on the environment, and um, will this cause a potential um, ask from the Biden administration to uh, declare a climate crisis? You know, one never knows how the Democrats might weaponize uh, these types of events uh, into the outcomes for their own political purposes. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to keep an eye on uh, what is going on and, of course, uh, keep that within the context of the U.S. Constitution. And, of course, heading into uh, 2024 soon, we're already talking about the presidential race. 
case. Um, it seems like we, uh, you know, just a little while ago, we're, we're talking about uh, 2020, but here we are uh, headed into 2024. And last week, uh, Nikki Haley announced that she is jumping in. I think we're going to see in the next uh, weeks and, and months um, many other candidates on the GOP ticket besides uh, President Trump. But um, Nikki Haley has been already kind of an interesting one here in terms of the headlines that she has garnered for being the first woman to jump in the race. Um, I, you know, I tweeted uh, against the her whole view that um, she has a, kind of a slogan in her campaign that says, you know, sometimes you just need a woman. And I'm thinking... Nikki Haley, why? She she is a, you know, whether or not you like her politics, you think that she's more of a globalist establishment, a rhino, a, you know, this or that, you know, we can have all of those debates and that's fine. But, you know, she is on the GOP ticket and she is uh, running, of course, um, as the first woman that entered the race. And from my view, as also a woman, by the way, why does she have to always call attention to that? I think that it is highly problematic when you have uh, this diversity quota that and these identity politics that you're asking conservatives to buy into. Why can't she just run on merit? Why does it have to be a thing that, you know, oh, let me point out the fact that I'm a woman. Why can't she just go in and say, Hey, I'm here and I was, you know, the United Nations ambassador under the Trump administration. I was a great governor of South Carolina. You know, here are all of the reasons. Because on the flip side, you have men that enter the race and they don't have and they would actually probably be lambasted on social media for saying, you know, hey, sometimes it just takes a man to do to do the job. They would say, Oh, you, you know, misogynist sexist, right? Well, why are we as the conservative party, um, which I say that a little bit in air quotes because, um, you know, Republican doesn't necessarily mean conservative, but certainly in contrast to the leftist Democrat liberals, we should be and hopefully we still are. Why are we playing these types of identity politics games? I really hope that uh, any other women who enter the race or anyone else who has some kind of, you know, diversity card won't play that card. They'll just run on merit as a contrast, especially to the Biden administration that is full of diversity quota and full of lack of merit. We see that in uh, Biden's press secretary. We see that um, in the Department of Transportation speaking about East Palestine, Ohio. We see that even in you know Biden himself, who doesn't have um, you know a lot of a lot of merit going on. But we see a lot of that in terms of his hires, and even uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. You know they they touted her as the first woman VP, and you know the first. Um, you know, diversity, a person of color, you know, in, in the vice presidency. And look at how tragic she is. Look at how embarrassing she is on the public stage. And I don't care what her skin color is. I don't care what her gender is. I care about the fact that she's representing America and she's an embarrassment. So I would hope that people like Nikki Haley wouldn't have done something like that. So, you know, so she has this whole campaign and it's like, oh, sometimes you need a woman. Well, you know, that that to me was just like, really, you don't need to go there. But then she ended up uh, getting a lot more headlines on Friday morning because uh, Don Lemon, who is probably, you know, one of the most embarrassing people on television um, right now, of course, you know, he went from having his show in primetime 
um, to being a fixture on the morning show. Uh, he and um, his two co-anchors, um, who are women, were talking about Nikki Haley on their panel. And, you know, instead of just talking about the merits of Nikki Haley, they, of course, had to go to the identity politics. But unlike the support of the Democrats for, you know, Hillary Clinton, for a potential run of Michelle Obama, for um, how much they touted Kamala Harris and, you know, and how much they were so behind Elizabeth Warren and all of these other women. Of course, they had to pick on Nikki Haley for being a woman. So total hypocrites. But this was just mind-blowingly embarrassing from CNN and Don Lemon. Listen to this. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking about? That's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, I got another I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that, you know, politicians aren't in their prime. you need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for, like, child-bearing? Or are you talking about prime for being president? Just say what the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home, when is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime. And they need to be in their prime when they serve. Because she wouldn't be in her prime, according to Google Google or whatever it is. I mean... Wow. On on so many levels, this is just so bad. And I've listened to this clip multiple times and, and I just have to laugh and, and cringe and think, okay, Don Lemon, you know, oh, the Googles, just, just to go Google it. And, you know, Google will tell you that a woman isn't in her prime <laughs> other than, you know, 20s, 30s and 40s, you know, just according to the Google. And if that's the source that you're quoting on a national television network to back up your argument, then, then how did Don Lemon even, you know, pass any sort of research papers in college? I mean, no professor would ever take, oh yeah, I just, I, I Googled it and this is what the Google told me. But but beyond that, I think that um, Poppy Harlow, who was the, the woman who was uh, his co-anchor pushing back on him uh, there, I think actually her pushback was entirely correct where she said, well, in her prime for what? What, you know, what are we talking about here? I mean, if you're talking about childbearing versus talking about running for president, those are two totally different calculations. I mean, if you're talking about someone who is physically fit to, you know, be an Olympian athlete versus running for president, then yeah, maybe, you know, someone who is younger would be more fit to be a uh, you know, a football player or a an Olympic athlete versus someone running for president. But this is just absolutely ridiculous that he is he is appealing to this uh, the Google, <laughs> you know, not even not even a legitimate source that he can articulate, but just uh, very broadly, he's appealing to this notion that somehow women aren't in their prime. And that somehow should disqualify Nikki Haley from running for president. I mean, this is just so patently absurd. And, and it also raises a really good 
constitutional question for us to consider because you know remember back when uh, President Trump was uh, was running for re-election in 2020 and there were many uh, on the Democrat side who were suggesting that he should be disqualified from the ballot for not releasing his tax returns and that was a big deal and California in fact uh, their legislature tried really hard to add that as a qualification for president, because traditionally uh, presidential candidates have released their tax returns. But that isn't an actual qualification in Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution. It's in Section 1.5, if you want to look it up. And I would encourage everyone, get the app of the U.S. Constitution on your phone. Have it at your fingertips. You can look it up. Um, it's, It's not that complicated, and it's also free out there. Um, But in Article 2, Section 1.5, you have the criteria that the founders required for someone uh, to run for president. And age, um, on the upward scale, you do have to be 35. So there is a lower threshold, but there is no upper threshold. And there also is no requirement that your tax returns are released. Well, the 16th Amendment had not been passed when Article 2 was originally written, right? So there are very few criteria for a person running for president. The one that we're all the most familiar with is that they have to be a born citizen. So how they come into their citizenship matters for purposes of eligibility uh, to the presidency. And so you, if you come into your citizenship by virtue of being a naturalized citizen, um, you, you were born a citizen of a different country, and then through our immigration and naturalization process, you now come into your citizenship in that method, Uh, the founders then would say you are not eligible. So you have to be a born citizen. Um, And there have, of course, been a lot of controversy over, um, you know, of course, Barack Obama and then, you know, Ted Cruz and then Kamala Harris and and all of these people. But that um, that is a criteria that is listed in the Constitution. Um, But the upward age is not a criteria and certainly not uh, whether or not someone is in their prime according to the Googles, right? So for Don Lemon to even suggest this, I think is um, is just absurd because he is purposefully confusing a criteria of a woman um, in a completely different capacity. And, and and even then, I mean, you know, there's in, in law school, we have these um, hypotheticals that are that are literally called the fertile octogenarian. And what does that mean? Well, you can never discount when a woman might conceive. And there are um, and so you can never discount for legal purposes, um, heirs apparent, uh, whether or not there will be a child of a future union and, you know, all of these all of these legal questions. But for him to suggest that somehow. Um, a a woman being quote unquote in her prime and whatever that means uh, to whatever he googled that that is somehow a criteria that we as the American public and as the voting base should take into consideration when contemplating who we support as president that is that is really shameful and he was pushed back absolutely rightly. There was a ton of pushback against Don Lemon, uh, mainly just, you know, kind of this is so misogynistic and how could you talk about a woman that way? And that's all 
well and true, and I think that's absolutely uh, correct pushback. But I think we need to go a, a layer deeper, and we need to say, okay, why doesn't the Constitution have requirements of an upper threshold of age? Should it? Should we pass a constitutional amendment that says, okay, if you were over the age of, you know, 65 or 70 or wherever we want to put it, uh, like a lot of uh, states have for state level judges, um, federal appointments are different. That's a lifetime tenure under Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution. But um, there are in some states, you know, if you are 65, you have to retire from the bench. Um, There are other criteria of an upper threshold of age. And do we want to, as a country decide in the wake of our current president, especially um, with some, you know, really uh, terrible, uh, terribly obvious, um, you know, mental difficulties, uh, do we want an upper threshold? Well, we can talk about that as a country, but to suggest somehow that a woman isn't in her prime and therefore the voting base needs to consider that seriously when we are contemplating who we are going to support. I mean, think about that for a while. I mean, think about that in terms of what the presidency requires from an individual who would hold that office and what it doesn't require. And there is absolutely no valid reason to suggest that a especially a woman being in her prime or a man being quote unquote in his prime. I mean, th- this is something that is just a way to try to get people to say that Nikki Haley is somehow not meritoriously running for president because she is in her early 50s. And and that is just um, such a ridiculous ridiculous position and Don Lemon now has been pulled off of the morning show we'll see if um, he ultimately gets canceled I don't think he should be canceled for his opinion I think he should be laughed at and I think we need to talk about this because we need to understand what the left is trying to do here they're always trying to add criteria for Republican candidates while suggesting that their candidates are perfectly capable even when there are reasons like the 25th amendment that Joe Biden's own cabinet should remove him. So we need to always be very circumspect. We're already out of time, but uh, you can tune in each and every morning here on Jenna Ellis in the morning, and I will see you tomorrow right here on American Family Radio Network. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.